0: guys. It's good to see you from this vantage point. It's fantastic. Hey, I was gonna say that our band was awesome today, our worship team, even before they played that last song. So thank you guys. That was, man, it sounded so great. Thank you. Um, And Cole, uh, where is Cole? Is he still here? He snuck out. Oh, there. Um, thank you for this shirt. Would you just stand real quickly so people can see that our shirt Not only are we wearing the same shirt, but he bought me this shirt this week without exactly knowing he bought it for me because he sent me a welcome to the family Carhartt gift card. And I used it to buy a shirt that then I show up and I'm wearing the same shirt as him. (laughs) So he walked into (laughs) Bible study this morning. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I told him I was going to make sure he got no treasure in heaven by telling the church, thank you for the gift Okay, it's so good to see you guys today. Hey, if you're new with us, my name is Brandon. Uh, Welcome. Uh, I'm the teaching pastor here, and you are joining us in the middle of a series called The Church That Changes the World. And it continues, to me at least, to be a fascinating look uh, as we sort of wrestle with what we see in the original church. In light of who we are we're, we're looking at a tiny church of 120 people as we are a tiny church of 120 people and seeing what we can learn from their experience and how we can be more like the church that God calls us to be. And what we've seen so far is that the example of the original church, the first church that Jesus left behind <laughs> is causing us to ask some questions about how we function as a church. So let me just remind you what we've asked so far. We asked do we trust in our ascended Savior? We asked, are we continually united in prayer? We asked, are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? And I just want to say, because I've gotten a lot of jokes, I did not know when the vote was going to be when I put the sermon series together. It just happened to be when I was preaching on Pentecost and I went with it. This week would have been a lot more normal, because to this week we are asking the question interesting question. I think it's a beautiful question, but I know it's an interesting question. Are we sharing, Blackman Baptist, what the first church was sharing over 2,000 years ago? Such an incredible concept that we need to start getting into that concept by discussing the great American institution of chilies. <laughs> so if I told you today that my favorite restaurant was Chili's, you would question my life choices. (laughs) But if I told you that my favorite restaurant on earth in 1998 was Chili's, well, of course. You would say, of course. Chili's was the bomb back when we all said the bomb. But Chili's popularity has dramatically decreased since 2000, and there's a few reasons for this. So I did some Chili's sermon research this week, and I'm going to share my conclusions with you. First, Chili's has ch- it does count as sermon research, by the way. It counts. I read a weird amount of articles on Chili's this week. Chili's has changed. That's the first thing you need to understand. The chilies of 2023 is not the same chilies as the chilies of the year 2000. The menus have changed, the the recipes have changed. There's an uproar over the change of the original chicken crispers. Apparently, I read several Reddit threads with people debating why and how Chili's salsa has shifted throughout the decades, and it has, it has. It's not right. Listen, this is the group I want to preach to right here. The decor has changed. There's an article on the internet right now talking about how chili has left its aesthetic roots in order to be more palpable to the masses and therefore lost much of its chili's charm. So the food they make is different. The way they make it is different. The way it looks when you eat it is different. A lot has changed about chilies in just the last 23 years. But it's not just chilies that's changed, has it? We've changed. We've learned to expect more than chilies, haven't we? We've found other options in the last 23 years that are better options. I would submit Chipotle as a superior option. Chipotle's food is fresher. Chipotle's flavors are bolder. (laughs) Chipotle's prices are cheaper. I'm I'm really preaching this right now. (laughs) The simple reality is that in Chipotle, we found something superior to Chili's, and we could keep going on. Chewy's is better than Chili's. Tito's is better than Chili's. Chili's has changed, and we found something better. And if you took a moment, as I did this week, to try to think of things that haven't changed dramatically or you haven't found something better just in the last 23 years, good luck. I thought of Chuck E. Cheese (laughs) and I didn't give that the same level of of research, but if you know, you know, Chuck E. Cheese is not the same. It has changed and not for the, been for the better. The experiences are different. We're different. Our opportunities for entertainment are different. Chuck E. Cheese is no longer the best option. So when we think about, I'm getting to a point. When we think about chilies, when we think about Chuck E. Cheese, things like this, we're looking at things where the recipe has changed, the experience changed, we've changed, and we've found something better. And it really was legitimately stunning for me to read our passage for today in light of how easy it is for things to change just since the year 2000 and then see that the original gospel is still the same as it was over 2,000 years ago and there's still not anything better. We're going to read the... See, this would have made way more sense for last week, but you know what? We trust the Lord. We go forward. We're going to read the first sermon recorded in the book of Acts, which was the, the, the book of the Bible intended to record the launch, the explosion of the church. And then I'm going to preach that same sermon right now. In 2,000 years, the recipe hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, the experience hasn't changed. I mean, you can't, you'll struggle to find something else you can say that about. We can look 2,000 years ago. And we just sang about it. We can look 2,000 years ago. They could have sang that song with the same response we've had, shouting with no bold font, because the proclamation of the good news of Jesus is the same today. Has the same impact today, doesn't it? We still need it today. There's still nothing better today. So let's... We're going to pick up reading where we left off last week in Acts chapter 2, and I want us to see three things from Peter's sermon that we need to remember, we need to reflect on, that we need to share with people outside of this metal building right now. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus' accomplishments. We're going to see Jesus' titles, and we're going to see Jesus' conditions. They're the same as they were 2,000 years ago there's still nothing better. So let's begin with Jesus' accomplishments, and we're going to read a long chunk of Peter's sermon. Read along with me, starting in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, Peter said, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among him through you, just as you yourselves know. We'll We'll think about that in a moment. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and killed him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rejoice in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay you have revealed the paths of life to me you will fill me with gladness in your presence brothers and sisters Peter continues to speak I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day since he was a prophet he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne that's Jesus. Seeing what was to come he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses therefore since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit he has poured out what you both see and hear for it was not David who ascended into the heavens but he himself says the Lord declared to my Lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool this is the word of the lord thanks be to god God. and this is a pretty compelling snapshot of the work of jesus of the life of jesus peter remember so let's tie this back into where we left, left left last week remember peter is standing from in front of jewish people gathered from many many nations and they've just seen the powerful display of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. Last week we discussed the rival of the Holy Spirit, its strangeness, its power, and how the followers of Jesus on that day were speaking in their own language, describing the magnificence acts of God, we said. But these Jewish people from all countries across the earth are understanding those testimonies in their own language. It's a pretty chaotic, pretty miraculous moment. And then Peter steps up and, and, and he preaches this sermon to them. And he says, this is happening because of Jesus. And then he says, let me tell you about Jesus. Because you need Jesus. And that was true 2,000 years ago. And that's true today. And then he walks through Jesus' accomplishments. His inestimable accomplishments and he shares significant facets of Jesus's life as the as the Messiah to these people who have just witnessed this supernatural wonder so what are Jesus's accomplishments let's look notice in verse 22 Peter said Jesus performed miracles and signs and wonders in front of these people some of these people would have seen his miracles. Jesus was the miraculous Messiah, Peter says. Verse 23, Peter told them that Jesus had been delivered up and nailed to the cross by them, like they and by extension we, responsible for the death of Jesus. So he became the sacrificial Messiah. Then Peter says on the cross, Jesus was killed. He became the dead Messiah. But in verse 24... Peter said that God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it is not possible for him to be held by death. So Jesus became the resurrected Messiah. And Peter shares, this really, is really magnificent. Peter shares that David was writing prophetically about the resurrection of Jesus when he wrote this psalm. Peter, Peter quotes, I think it's Psalm 16. Peter quotes the, a passage of scripture I don't think. It is Psalm 16. From from the Old Testament, Peter quotes it. And Peter's basically saying, guys, David did see decay. Right? Peter says, we have David's tomb with us right now. But David was a prophet. And David knew that one day the Messiah would come, that death would not hold the Messiah... David prophesied that the tomb wouldn't keep the Messiah. So Peter is preaching, we have David's tomb. It's right here. But Jesus' tomb is empty. And you need to know, gathered people of the nations, you need to know that Jesus Christ died. Not just gathered people of the nations, people in gray chairs in a metal building in Middle Tennessee right now. You need to know that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for your sins. But he isn't there anymore. Because just like David said would happen... Just like Jesus himself said would happen, he has risen from the dead. He has defeated death and hell. These are the accomplishments of Jesus. But then in verse 31, Peter goes on to speak of Jesus' ascension. There's nobody like this. 2,000 years later, there's nothing like this. Peter speaks of his status as the ruler of the universe at the right hand of the Father. And he quotes another psalm. This is Psalm 10. Which says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's smack talk. (laughs) Peter says, this time, this same Jesus who you killed, who you watched into heaven victoriously, he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father and his enemies are like footstools. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. This is really hard for us in 2023 so far removed from this original power, powerful gospel. But, but, but imagine that you're in the crowd. You're in that crowd. Here hasn't changed. and Nothing better has come along in 2,000 years. But it's, it's still a message that for many of us is not new. But rem, try to imagine what it would have been like when it was new. That day, can you imagine... Hearing people occurrences, wait, what does God do, and how do I understand it, and what is all going on here? And imagine, some in that crowd likely saw Jesus heal people. Wait, that guy? Wait, didn't we kill that guy? I thought, I know, some people in in that crowd very possibly were there shouting for his crucifixion in front of Pilate. They could have been standing before the cross where he was tortured and died for their sins and Peter's telling them, putting it all together, no, this was the Messiah you were looking for. Can you imagine hearing Peter say, here is Jesus' life, here are his works, his power. Remember the miracles that he did before you? He lived a perfect life so that you could be delivered from sin. But in order for that to happen, you delivered him up to the cross. That's what Peter's saying. But he went willingly, and he died willingly, and he died sacrificially. Then he resurrected powerfully. And you're just standing there like, what is going on? And they're like, we've witnessed it. He's resurrected power powerfully, just like the guy you liked so much, King David, said he was going to do. It's really stunning. Can you imagine hearing that list? He's ascended. His enemies are his footstools. What? I'm his enemy, right? You can't hear that. You can't hear that that sermon without thinking, isn't he amazing? And what does that mean for me? What does that mean? Can you imagine hearing that list of accomplishments, those experiences of Jesus, surrounded by the supernatural work of God, and then comparing that to your own life? My parents are in the process of moving to to Middle Tennessee, and just a couple of weeks ago, they brought several, by the way, this is the box my shirt came in, thank you. No treasure left for you, It's real, he did it, okay. Okay. they brought several boxes of stuff of mine uh, over to the house that I hadn't seen in years. Uh, I'm going to show some of it to you right now. Prepare to be impressed and overwhelmed. Uh, I've got in this box a, a high school basketball championship plaque. But before uh, you get too excited, uh, it's, a, it's a conference championship plaque, not state Certainly not nationals. It's also a Christian Athletic Conference championship (laughs) plaque. So if you're wondering uh, how much this accomplishment means to me, it's uh, not at all. Not at all. I'd forgotten about it until my parents brought it. Uh, I also have here a trophy. (laughs) I don't have much to show you guys. A trophy from the 1995 Father-Son Field Day. Um, I have a bunch of these. It was a, we were strong that day. I was probably, I would have been 14, and I think I was competing against mostly 11 and 12-year-olds because that's who came. And my dad is 21, my dad's only 21 years older than me, and he's an athletic marvel unlike me. So he was levels and levels above the other dads. Uh, so we, want, we won everything we competed in, To the point that we stopped competing because it felt weird. Um, So the only reason this means anything is because it reminds me of something I did with my dad, not because of anything uh, related to my performance as a 14-year-old versus 11-year-olds. And then lastly, uh, I have this, this I am proud of. I have this second place badge from a yo-yo competition in the second grade. This is so sad because... It's easily the, the accomplishment I'm most proud of. In this box that my parents brought, boxes that represents my life. Um, I got second place in an elementary yo-yo competition. Perhaps your life has been more impressive than mine. Perhaps. But in your heart, I want you to fill up your box of accomplishments. Your blue ribbons, your promotions, your plaques, your medals, your pay stubs, whatever it is. Fill that box up to the brim and then set it next to Jesus. Set it next to Jesus after what we've just heard. Imagine standing in that crowd and, wait, what? That guy did what? And we did what to him? And I did what? What? Two th- put your box next to Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he was full of miraculous compassion, and he still is today. 2,000 years ago, he was full of sacrificial to the death love for sinners like us. He was full of resurrection power, he still is today. He went to hell and took the keys. <laughs> What? Can you, can you imagine being in that crowd? Like, we've heard this stuff before. And it it's still the best thing you could hear. But can you imagine standing there for the first Wait, he went to Hades and Hades couldn't hold him? What? Guys, the keys to heaven and hell are in Jesus' boxes of accomplishment. I hope you're so proud of your second grade yo-yo badge. And Peter's point is that that day and today, Jesus deserves our attention. He deserves our affection. He deserves our surrender. He deserves our worship. His accomplishments, his accomplishments are stunning. They always have been. They always will be. And to help us see that, Peter keeps preaching. I'm going slower this week. I'm going I'm gonna... to... Go back. I'm going to go faster. Let's, let's read the next verse in the sermon that has not changed and see Jesus' titles. This is verse 36. So amazing. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And that kind of encapsulates the sermon right there. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's so beautiful, so powerful. Let's understand the titles first before we see why it's so incredible that Peter proclaims them. So first, Peter calls Jesus Lord, right? And the title Lord, we just sang Lord of all the worlds. That's a, there's a certain level of discomfort I think, when you think about that, in really any context. The word, the title Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs, the possessor and disposer of a thing, the master. And guys, this title is only for God and the Messiah. So when Peter's using this title, he is uh, intending to apply to Jesus everything that the Old Testament says about God. Peter wants us to know, That Jesus is he to whom a person or thing belongs, this world, our lives. He is Lord. He is the possessor and disposer of everything. And Christ, the second title, means anointed one or Messiah. So the title Christ means that Jesus was the long-awaited rescuer that these Jewish people and ultimately the world were looking for that we needed and what Peter is doing here is he is assigning titles to the accomplishments that he's already shares about Jesus so he preaches everything that his Jesus has done to change the world, to rescue lost sinners, then he brings the titles to bear and he's saying you can be assured that because of these accomplishments, his miracles, his life, his resurrection his defeat of death, his defeat of hell his ascension, his seating at the right hand ruling over the universe because of these things we can be assured that he is the Lord of all Things, that he is the God of the universe, that he is the long awaited rescuer from sin. Jesus is Lord. Still works today. Jesus is Christ. But what did Jesus primarily call himself when he was here on earth before he had accomplished those things? What is the title that Jesus most often used? So interesting Son of Man. Son of man. If you read the Gospels, and and you probably have, it's almost the only thing he calls himself. Over 80 times, he calls himself the son of man. Not miraculous, sacrificial, rescuing Messiah. Son of man. He was constantly saying, hey, remember when you read the story, hey, let's keep this a secret for now. My time has not yet come. Don't tell anyone yet, son of man. Don't tell anyone yet. Son of man is here. Don't tell anyone yet. Why? Listen to this incredible quote that I read from a commentator this week. In Jewish thought, no one has the right to the title Messiah till he has accomplished the work of the Messiah. In fact, in Jewish life, in all of life, Accomplishment must precede acclamation. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was distinctly reluctant to, ex- to accept titular acclaim, probably because his understanding of messiahship had to do with suffering and because his concept of lordship had to do with vindication and exaltation by God. But now that Jesus has accomplished his messianic mission in life and death and has been raised by God and exalted at his rising... It's amazing. I read another article this week titled, What Happens to the Super Bowl 56 Championship Gear Made for the Cincinnati Bengals? And the reason that's such an interesting question is the Bengals did not win Super Bowl 56. The Rams did. However... The NFL, every year, they makes championship gear ahead of time for both teams just so that they're ready. And whoever loses, their championship t-shirts go to people in need in other countries. they got to get them out of North America, but they get to people in need in other countries. Which means, right now, somewhere in, they said they sent them to the Middle East, Africa, South America. There's a child wearing Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl 56 championships t-shirts, even though the Bengals were losers. All I, all I want you to understand is Jesus did not preemptively print his t shirts. Jesus called himself the Son of Man, but then he won the title. The title is now his, and it's what a title, Lord! He is the ascending, ruling, Lord of Lords. Right now, this is his world. You, children with your sticker packs, you are his life. You belong to Jesus. And he's also the risen Messiah. Children with your sticker packs, Jesus loves you and he wants to rescue you from your sin. And there's nothing left he needs to do to do it. The championship banner has already been hung, so to speak. He rules the world, victory in hand, titles in hand. He longs to give you salvation, to offer you everlasting life and life in an abundance. But he's not offering something that he can't give, that he hopes to be able to give someday. He's offering something he's already earned, claimed, already done the work. He already wears the titles. He is Lord and Christ, and he wants to save you. So let's finish reading Peter's sermon to see Jesus's conditions. We've seen his accomplishments, his titles. What are the conditions to respond to what Jesus offers? Pick up in verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testifies and strongly urged them saying be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So in my humble opinion... Chili's salsa isn't as good as it was 20 years ago, and it costs more. Chili's salsa's potency has changed, and the conditions to get it have changed. Both for the worse. It is not so with the good news of Jesus. The conditions are the same today as they were back then. Their response can be our response. Peter was preaching salvation through the accomplishments of Christ. He was offering access to the Lord and Savior of the universe. And look at the response of the listeners. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They asked, what should we do? Pierced to the heart. Some some translate that cut to the heart. It's similar to saying they were humble of heart. They had stood there. They had heard... how could this be? The people that saw the truth, that they were like, we missed it. He was here, and we killed him, and we are responsible, but he loves us, and he saves, and he's exalted as Lord of the universe. But the conditions then, or the conditions now, they were pierced to the heart. They heard Jesus' glory. They heard Jesus' work. They heard his resurrection. Cut to the heart. This is, Jesus, who we crucified, is ruler of the world and the Messiah who came to save us. And that's the same response we need today. Pierced to the heart. Can we believe that? Can we believe we're all born enemies of God? Our sin now, just like then, just like over 2,000 years ago, makes us against The Lord and Messiah, whether we know it consciously or not, we are born against the Lord of the universe and the Messiah who saves. Many who heard that day immediately saw the problem with that. They immediately saw their need. And the point of the gospel is that the only thing you need to receive the gospel is your need. Anyone who can see Jesus' glory and see their own need can meet the conditions. There's no box of accomplishments you got to fill up. Jesus brings that. There's no magic words to memorize. Peter didn't give them, you know, a list of things they had to do to be right with God. No, they expressed their sorrow, they communicated their need, and Peter said, repent and receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. The conditions then are the same today. The word most of you know this, but kids, you may not. The word repent, it just means turn around. Turn around, that's what repent means. And when the direction that you are going leads you against the Lord and rescuer of the world, the call to turn around is a loving call. Jesus is saying if you're trusting in your own accomplishments or in your own titles, then you're walking toward destruction. Turn around and don't walk towards destruction, right? Repent. Repent. You only need be humble of heart. The people that are coming to your mind right now who don't have a relationship with God to the finished work of Jesus Christ, they only need to be humble of heart. Our accomplishments are empty. Our own lordship is a failure. But Jesus, the Lord of Lords, says, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus, the Messiah, says, in my presence is fullness of joy. I love so many stories of swords and kings, way too many. But perhaps none is more famous than Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings. And many of you will have seen it or read it. What do the people do? Even the people who opposed him or doubted him when they realized that Aragorn is the one true king of Gondor. What do they do? They repent. Such a beautiful scene. They bow the knee. They bow down. They obey. They follow. And he leads them to victory. And it's not just this great literary coincidence. The story the Lord of the Rings. The the character Aragorn was written to help people like us think about Jesus. And that's what was happening pre-Lord of the Rings 2,000 years ago. As Peter preached this sermon, these same words. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people recognized that their true Lord had been in their midst all along. They were pierced to the heart. They repented. They bowed the knee. 3,000 people Bowing the knees saying, if I did that to him and he did this for me anyway, please. Man, my accomplishment, man, I'm barely exaggerating. <laughs> These are my accomplishments. Yours are not really any better. <laughs> and compared to what Jesus has done in our place for us, they're filthy rags. And all he says is, "Can you be, can you be humble of heart, man? Sorry, guys, because isn't that sometimes the hardest thing to do?" Jesus, I want to fill my box, right? The box is already full. Can we turn? From being against the Lord and Messiah? Can we call others to return from being against the Lord and Messiah who loves them? Bow the knee to Jesus. 2,000 years, there's still nothing later. So, two two sort of action steps. Uh, The first is if you're not a Christian. Let's do Christians first. The first is if you are a Christian. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus, this week, and I'm going to give you, I think it's helpful when goals are clear and intentional. So this week, I've randomly, hopefully sovereignly, selected the hours of 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Wednesday. Because otherwise, it won't help you focus. I'm going to ask you, to, to be praying every day this week between now and then. Maybe it's between 11.30 and 11.35. But pray for an opportunity to share with someone the most important thing in existence that hasn't changed in 30 years, or 30 years, or 2,000 years. I know, I, I know who I'm going to reach out to. I'm nervous about it. You might be nervous about it. It's a call of love. It's a call of love. If that person is against the Lord and Messiah of the universe, then they are missing out on everything that matters most. So I'm going to ask you to pray for the Lord to either put on your heart an opportunity or just to give you an opportunity. And if you're not a Christian, kids in the room, adults in the room, people listening online. I want to call you to Jesus right now. Right now. Are you humble of heart? Can you turn around? Jesus wants to save you. The Bible says if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we will be saved. That's all it takes. And what I'm going to ask you to do is in just a moment as we're singing we're going to stand and I'm going to ask you to walk out in front of somebody if you're a kid and you want to you tap on your parent's shoulder first come out and let somebody from our prayer team pray with you to make the most important decision ever and you might wonder why in the world especially in a room this small would I walk in front of people why would I let them see that well uh Your high school graduation was pretty public. Your wedding was likely a very public profession. This is the most important decision you'd ever make. Take that step. This church will celebrate with you. But let me pray for us, and then we will respond to the word of God together. Father, I do pray for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would give us a renewed shield of faith because we're reminded of your accomplishments and reminded of your titles. And God, I pray that you would give us a desire to help other people see the conditions of being united and reunited ultimately with you, Jesus. God, I pray that this week you would give us a supernatural opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Would you give us love and joy and courage and conviction to share the recipe that hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. And God, if there is anyone in this room right now who needs a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, I pray that you would give them the love they need. I pray that you would give them the courage that they need to take a step out of their seat and come forward and make the most important decision of their life. Jesus, we trust you. You're so good. Thank you for being the best thing that's ever happened to us. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Music <laughs>